Hello, welcome to Episode Party, the podcast where we talk about our favourite podcasts. I'm Jack Tutor. I'm Freddie Harrison. And today we are joined by social producer for Little White Lies, Hannah Woodhead. Hello, Hannah. Hi. Hi there. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, We are going to dive into some podcast recommendations and Freddie is going to kick us off. Freddie, what is your recommendation for today? Okay, I have a treat. Um, or at least it was a treat for me, and I'm hoping it was a treat for both of you too. But it was definitely a treat for me because I started listening to this and then I just like binged my way through it in about two nights flat um, because I couldn't stop listening and I, I just gave up on listening to absolutely anything else over those two days. Um, there's been a fair bit of hype around um, Caliphate for a little while now. I think it's appeared on a couple of like 50 best podcasts of the year so far lists and all that kind of stuff. And I think there's probably good reason for that it like totally gripped me um i kind of feel like it kind of tells two stories so it's it's one it's kind of telling the story of isis and how people uh, are recruited into isis and what goes on within the organization uh, how it kind of rose to the points it has and then there's like a secondary story going on which is the story of how journalism around isis happens and how you go about investigating isis um so it follows uh, a New York Times uh, reporter called Rukmini Kalamachi around um, and she's kind of followed around by a producer called Andy Mills who you kind of hear interject every now and then with just kind of testing mics mainly uh, and then every now and then he'll ask a question as well and they uh, find a guy who uh, was in ISIS and they meet him in a hotel room and they interview him and quite a lot of the episodes are kind of based around the interview that goes on in the hotel room um so they kind of split it up into kind of i guess quite logical kind of subsections of of the story and there's a kind of twist and i don't really want to talk about that beyond saying that there's a twist because that would ruin everything (laughs) for everyone i really want people to enjoy it but um the, the, I think like the first episode is really good for like, giving background, but I think the recommendation I, ge- I gave you both was um, chapter two, which kind of skips over the kind of introduction and some of Rick Mooney's background and, and how she got about reporting ISIS and how that works. And we kind of went straight into talking uh, to this guy who was in ISIS about how he went for uh, how he was radicalized and how he was recruited and, and the process behind that. And I think this is like where it really hits its stride. And that's kind of why I wanted to kind of drop you in at this point, because I think this is where it starts to get really interesting. But there is kind of, you know, Andy's asking Rickmini how she watched what was going through her head as she was speaking to this guy and uh, what she was trying to find out. And, and she kind of gives a bit of an insight into how she kind of tries her best to verify the kind of things that this guy's saying. But I think it's just a nice, uh, a really nicely done podcast. It's not like... Uh, you know trying too hard um to be like super overly produced um although it is pretty nicely done but i just find this kind of like story within a story thing really fascinating and like the whole the whole narrative that it follows gets really really interesting um as you carry on so um 
I kind of I'd almost forgotten about it because I started listening to this as soon as we first shared our recommendations and I got through it all so quickly that I had to go back and listen this evening before we we started recording just to make sure I remember what it was all about um in a good way like as in I, I forgot the details I just remembered how good it was and I think maybe that's a maybe that's a good sign maybe it's a bad sign well, I'm just I've got a really bad recall so maybe that's not a good thing um uh right what, what did you think H- Hannah what did you think I'm intrigued I listened to the uh, episode you recommended and then I went back and listened to the first episode which is not something I was planning on doing because you know being time poor mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but I was like I can't you know I can't really leave this story at just this sort of one podcast that you know it's one episode I've listened to it's yeah. a fascinating like insight I don't think we get into uh, we, we, we know these things are happening you know we know these journalists are investigating ISIS but to have this kind of insight into that what that process looks like and how sort of painstaking it is and how Hmm. cinematic it kind of is as well you know that when they're waiting in the hotel room like thinking is this is this guy going to show up there is this kind of like it does feel like the movies you know you you kind of always imagine the uh, journalist meeting the informants in the hotel room to kind of like (laughs) get get the scoop and Radhiki's like she's such a kind of a draw as a presence like she's so well spoken but also very like candid at the same time you know she's she tells these uh, stories and she's able to get these sort of uh, this the information out of the um the subject who they end up speaking to like really sort of fluidly and it feels effortless although you you like you know obviously obviously it's not effortless at all (laughs) and um yeah I just I think it was interesting from a kind of like a point of view of seeing this stuff in the news and kind of wanting to know more, but also from the point of view of being a journalist and kind of finding out how much work goes into this sort of, this very specific investigative journalism. Mm. Jack, how about you? Yeah, I thought this was really interesting. I've only listened to Recruitment so far and actually just driving over to your house, Freddie, I was listening to Arrival, so episode three, I should probably go back to episode one at some point, actually. But yeah, I I was (laughs) super interested. And I think the analysis of this kind of issue, say the process of radicalization, I've only really read about in part. I mean, it usually forms part of a a larger story um, about ISIS. And so to have it scrutinized like this, I thought was really interesting. And I think, I mean, as you say, there's a, a lot of cinema to uh, the way that all these events unfold. <laughs> I think there's also as well a lot of administration uh, involved in places that you don't expect them. I think the fact that it shows how all the cogs fit together from ISIS's perspective uh, is really interesting. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, there was it a... It feels like a pyramid. They treat you like a pyramid scheme. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like a pyramid okay, we, scheme. You know, like we, we're waiting around on the internet, waiting in chat rooms, and, you know, they either wait for the people to come to them or kind of, like, plant these ideas, and it's all very, like... Obviously, they can't just go out there and be like, hi, we're ISIS, come and join ISIS. So they <laughs> yeah. have to be, like, more um, covert about it. And that's what kind of... I not I don't want to say I was impressed by ISIS but like it is absolutely fascinating how insidious it is and how easy it is for them to um well, easy I think is actually the wrong word but how sort of easy and difficult it is at the same time to recruit people from you know like across thousands and thousands of miles away via social networks like insta 
and recruiting them over Instagram. I was just like amazed at this. Yeah, what? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the thing is, often what gets happened in these kind of stories is that that part of it doesn't exist. They're just like uh, any kind of attribution of, I guess, any deft tactics is sort of overlooked because they're an evil mm. organization. And there's no judgment being made through this podcast that, you know, these guys are super clever. Well done them. And But, but there's also not that d- dismissal that can sometimes take place where um, we almost don't want to know. And the focus is instead on the people going, uh, n- not necessarily the push and pull that's taking place, which takes them over there. Um, so I will definitely be listening to more of this because, like I say, I think it brings an angle to the subject that I haven't really been exposed to before, personally. The one thing with this episode, the recruitment one, is that it moves so fast and it's got that production <laughs> style, which I, I've heard also in like Radio Lab, where you get someone starting a sentence, someone else picking it up, another person elaborating on that very particular clause in the sentence. Three voices in the space of like five seconds sometimes. And I'm like, whoa. And it works in a way where there is continuity there. But also I, I'm nauseous. So I just wish it, yeah. <laughs> it allowed interviewees to, to speak and the story to breathe, because I think the real strength of this podcast is that it's a deliberative experience. I think it's saying let's not reduce the narrative let's um, flesh it out for how complicated it is and I, I, I wish the production style was at a pace that just encouraged the same level of deliberation I felt like sometimes yeah. listening to a very long movie trailer which uh, was intense <laughs> but episode three which I've started listening to takes it right down so uh, I don't know maybe this is a, a particular episode you know it's interesting that they can that you can kind of box away recruitment into a second episode into like mm. one episode right. where you would think that that would be such a kind of key thing I mean I don't yeah. know if it's maybe 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 less in America but over here I feel like the papers and the media are constantly preoccupied with this like so many people are being recruited by ISIS and then for it to just be like one episode of a podcast I get mm-hmm. that they've got like a you know a lot to a lot to cover I think yeah, yeah. <laughs> is the word. Um, but yeah, I mean, I said it sound it was kind of the same cinematic about the content of it, and I think the production design as well is very much slick New York Times, like Spielberg, yeah. you know, uh, Washington Post, Pen- Pentagon Papers style. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Very, you know, um, it's. But I could very easily like see, you know, they talk about serial like being adapted into a film, and I'm like, well, right. I can see this becoming a film. Like, oh it, yeah. it's it's an absolutely fascinating story, and it, yeah. I I think. Um, there's something so brave about it as well because like um Rukimi's saying like she knows that ISIS know who they are who she is. I think yeah. is it in the first one where she's talking about them discussing her on their message boards. Yeah, yeah. And calling her um fat mini or something. Like, yeah. I was like, what, what is it they call her? <laughs> it's something yeah, like that. Like, it's like a really being ridiculous thing. By ISIS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, which really wow. yeah tickled and then, me. And then it takes the turn when she starts talking about the the guy knocking on her door in the middle of the night, and it's yeah, it's um, yeah that anecdote is like so oh yeah chilling. I think. Oh, I need to get uh, back to episode one. Well, yeah. if you think the uh, the recruitment is sophisticated, you wait until like the latter episodes when they reveal that ISIS is its own like 
electrical and water supply company and has its own police force <laughs> and is, is, is a fully functioning corporation like it's i can see why they ended up packaging recruitment into a single episode because it like really scratches the surface and it's funny how you so say about the yeah. uh, how it has potential for like an adaption into film because again like i, I don't want to give it away but like there, there's stuff that happens later on in the episodes where like you kind of get set up into thinking what this podcast is going to be and it's almost a bit like um a bit like s-town where it kind of takes on uh, its kind of own narrative beyond what you think is going to happen and Whoa. it gets super interesting it's ah. a very yeah yeah I, i'm gonna leave Freddy. you on that i think yeah wow what a teaser <laughs> well i'm diving in that's for sure i've got a long drive tomorrow hannah your recommendation is next up what podcast have you got for us yeah, so I have chosen uh, This American Life, which is quite a, like, basic podcaster choice. <laughs> I, um, you know, it's it's kind of, like, entry-level, like, but there's a reason. It's, you know, <laughs> kind of everyone's favourite. It's yeah. it's uh, by NPR in America, and it's presented by um, Ira Glass, who's kind of, like, a mainstay of the podcasting world. And every week they take a topic and they do usually about three or four stories around the topic and they just kind of provide these little like snapshots of life in America across its, you know, 400 year history. And the episode I chose to show you guys was um, probably like one of my top five out of however 600 that they've done which is um, When the Beasts Come Marching In which is in 2016 and it's just an episode that I think is like pure joy but also very educational it's about Mm. um, the intersection of man and beast and man trying to live with beast and not causing too much pain to either party <laughs> and it's very it's it's very funny it's very like i say it's very educational and it all kind of slots together so seamlessly they have this kind of they have a bit where uh, it, it has this really funny prologue where they're talking to this guy who's been on the podcast before who's like he's like a genius he um I can't remember where he worked um ibm he's like it? yeah ibm he worked at ibm and he is having this problem. He's like retired now, and he's having this problem with this woodpecker in his garden, and the woodpecker won't won't leave him alone. <laughs> and it's <laughs> all the kind of stories are about that. They're about these kind of crazy situations where nature is infringing on society, or society is infringing on nature. You you might say. And I just yeah, I think it's it's very easy listening but also very the kind of thing that you like you hear it and then you go and tell your friend about it because you're like oh yeah this isn't this podcast and i heard this crazy story about this wolf that like they were so determined to catch him that they sent out a press release when they did and it was like very <laughs> dramatic and they were like oh yeah this wolf was like the the baddest wolf we ever met and i <laughs> yeah i just i just really i just really really like this episode in particular and i hope that you guys um enjoyed it as much as i did <laughs> well this one took me back. I mean, firstly to This American Life <laughs> generally, because I used to play football after work and I used to finish around nine o'clock and then I have about an hour and a 20 minute drive and it would uh, be on a Monday night. So it'd be the day that the new This American Life came out. So I'd crack that on <laughs> and then I'd get like a can of Coke and some hula hoops or, you know, if I was indulgent, like bread and hummus. And I would just put on the new episode and listen to it on the way home and just be completely yanked into all this 
wonderful journalism. Hang on, you're dipping bread in hummus while you're drunk. <laughs> that comes Sorry. up. Yeah. This is really irrelevant, I know, but I'm still amazed that you can do that. While no, can I just say I have stopped doing that because I started to get a lot of concerned voices saying, don't do that, especially when I'd explain how my index finger and thumb were like holding the hummus part and the rest of the fingers were on the steering wheel. Yeah, so, I mean, if you ever had an accident, like how would you explain that to police? Like, oh... I'm uh, sorry, I was dipping my, my bread and my hummus. Yeah, I look, for goodness sake, I've been playing football for an hour. Boys Gotta Eat is for catcher and hummus. And I think they'd let me off with a warning. So this, <laughs> this American Life is a, a podcast that I have fond hummusy memories of. And I just, it just was basically, for me as well, it was a real gateway into podcasting. It was one of the first that I listened to. And I think it was very much an introduction to that American style of putting radio together. And I, what I really yes. like is that the themes that they pick for each episode are, there's, there's a great combination at work. There's the theme, which is loose enough that it means that you can get any kind of story under that theme in the sense that there's works of fiction on this American life. There is, you know, real like autobiographical pieces that can be comedic or or sad. There's pieces of quite intense journalism that crop up at some points. And there's a continuity that runs through all of them. And sometimes it's Sometimes it would be tenuous were it not for Ira Glass being the adhesive that draws everything together. (laughs) Uh, But he does a wonderful job at it. I mean, there was one I listened to, which I think is the most recent one, where the opening story is, I mean, the most mundane thing. It's this girl who gets a can of olives delivered in the post and has no idea why she got it. And then it turns out the reason that she did is because she ordered something online and the person sending it to her wanted to qualify for free shipping on the item that she'd ordered and so bunged in a, a can of olives. That was the story. Like, they're really, it, you know, I was like, what? what is this? But then Ira linked it into the main body of This American Life in a way that, and, and the theme for that particular show, in a way that I was like, that is so silly, yet it happened to work. Um... The other reason that this took me back is that this episode actually is like one of my favourites and one that as soon as the <laughs> seal story came up, I was like, I remember listening to this when it came out. And uh, <laughs> I think the continuity on this episode is particularly strong. Like that real paradox of how we relate to animals and how we're endeared by them and want to protect them. And yet we're very destructive and silly. And in fact, in our efforts to be all high and mighty and moral, end up reducing ourselves to completely animalistic states, particularly in that first story. And uh, yeah, the one with the press release as well is absolutely fascinating. And I thought the change of tone that it embarks on there was really great. And I love as well, just there's a gradual ascension to sort of lightness at the end with that story with Buzzwinkle, which is told in a way which has like a comedic charm to it, It has some sadness in it, but ultimately like really uplifting. And that's what they tend to do is carry you out. Yeah, I I think the the crux of that Buzzwinkle story as well is like, um, as a as a finale piece, it kind of encapsulates everything else within the podcast, which is these animals are all kind of the same, but 
that's kind of nice. Yeah. Like there's a there's a continuity to animals that you don't get necessarily get with people. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, you, in the seal story you mentioned as well, which is another like I'm surprised that that's not been made into a movie because it is so ridiculous and so <laughs> hilarious. It's <laughs> true. This, you know, th- these seals are just like having a good time chilling on the beach, and it somehow causes this massive rift in like a San Diego beach beach community between pro seal <laughs> activists and pro beach activists. Yeah. And, um, and and which ends in like the FBI getting involved because someone's getting death threats. Like it, it just it gets progressively more bizarre. And the same with the Buzzwinkle story as well. I just love that guy who pretended he had a biker gang. The marine biologist. The marine <laughs> biologist who was like, I'll get my biker gang friends on you, which is like the equivalent of when you're like six and you're like, I'm going to get my brother's mates on yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Like, it just means nothing. It's so empty. Yet over the internet, it works perfectly. Like, you could be forgiven for thinking you have a biker gang on your side. <laughs> yeah. It is that kind of like slice of life weirdness that, that I really like. And I think this episode demonstrates it kind of more than more than many that i can think of yeah absolutely um yeah freds what you what you what do you think yeah I, I, it's funny honey that you say that it's like a basic podcast because it it is but like no one thought to recommend it on this show so far and we're like 37 <laughs> episodes true. in so what well done you for actually thinking of thing that no Yay. one else did um no it, it is awesome and it, and it, it like rightfully we we should have we should have picked it up about 36 episodes ago to be honest <laughs> it's like one of one of the ones that i think most people who get into podcasts listen to at one point or another and it's one of those ones that if you ask for a list of recommendations of podcasts most people will recommend it because yeah. it is so good and, and the fact that it covers so much ground you know episode by episode it just makes it so appealing and I listened to I think this was the first time I listened to When the Beasts Come Marching In and I really really enjoyed it the the seal story just gets me completely about like the fallacy <laughs> of us as human beings that we like <laughs> try and do the right thing but then just end up like attacking each other and <laughs> threatening each other and, and getting in trouble with the FBI like I love the fact that that's what we get reduced to and i think there's just something kind of funny about animals doing that to us but then i yeah and then i just remembered how good a show it is and how much great stuff it covers and i kind of went on a little like uh this american life uh journey and I, I ended up on uh, I ended up on the one about the the magic show. If, if oh my god, magic. yeah, that's another classic. Yeah, it's so so good, and I forgot about it completely. And then I was like, oh no, wait, this is the one where Teller talks, and I can listen to Teller yeah. talking. And then and then I and then I every time I listen to it, I go. Oh, it's just really disappointing he hasn't got a more exciting voice. And then I think, well, why would he have a more exciting <laughs> voice? It's like, but it's a very, very good episode. But like the whole show is just so well done and they make the format work in a way that I don't know many other podcasts could because I think they've got it down to an art form that I I just I think if I, if Jack and I tried to make a podcast where we take three very desperate stories and unite them under one banner we'd do a terrible <laughs> job of those links so I, I think that's, that's just why Ira Glass is so so good um, and it's yeah it's it's wonderfully produced it's like a wonderful you know slice of American life but I think the fact that it has this universal appeal says a lot to their kind of like the the editorial decision making that goes on to kind of pick out very specific stories that even though they are very much rooted in America have this kind of appeal that means that 
me and my kitchen and Bournemouth can really enjoy the seal story, and even though I know that there's never going to be a seal at Bournemouth Beach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'd be surprised, you know, that the, the harbour seals they mention are least concerned, so it sounds like they're doing great. Um, oh. Could pop up anywhere. Good but I think as well, with, with This American Life and NPR, it's so... The, the kind of indelible mark that they've left on the podcast world is like impossible to undersell. I mean, they were responsible for Serial and S Town and a series called mm. Embedded, which they only did one series of, but it was really, really good. And um, a lot of kind of stories that appear on this then go off and become like bigger features. And mm. also, there's a great episode called The Psychopath Test, which is kind of, again, like one of the more well known ones where John Ronson talks about his book the psychopath test uh, okay. and um that's yeah that was going to be my other recommendation if i didn't pick this one i think and that's again showing the kind of like breadth of this podcast that it can go from this kind of like light-hearted like animals and man living in harmony to <laughs> literal psychopaths i yeah. think is, is um there are very few podcasts that could balance that <laughs> yeah absolutely and actually you just mentioned john ronson and it makes me realize that there are so many radio hosts that i was introduced to through this american life and first heard their voices here so like jonathan yeah goldstein who's podcast heavyweight we've spoken about on here before and i'm a big fan of uh starly kine as well who i first heard on this american life and i've gone on to listen to anything that she does really it's great it's a <laughs> it's a really nice podcast to be into early on i think and that's the thing i think maybe it hasn't come up to, at this uh, until now because people worry that it's an obvious choice but it is yeah i wasn't worried i was just like yep going in there going <laughs> yeah the obvious choice like. <laughs> it paid off it paid off yeah. so well <laughs> but it's the gateway like it's it's goes right back to the point where for me i was like oh like radio can do a lot of different things that aren't just bbc <laughs> radio 4 um so yeah yeah 100% <laughs> great well that was a unanimous love of this american life we're doing well tonight <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing well on universal approval of podcasts this is um after a few episodes where we've had uh, mixed mixed reviews on many things this is this is this is this is a good this one it's nice and it's a feel feel oh, good see, episode I, I was really pleased with the two you chosen that i actually really liked them because imagine if you chosen ones i hated and i was just like yeah guys like it's i happened. don't know why i agreed to this <laughs> <laughs> you guys do a show about podcasts but i mean really is this what you're throwing to the surface the fools it sounds like um that this one is going to meet your approval as well in that case i mean it certainly <laughs> met mine uh this one's habitat which is a gimlet production uh presented by lynn levy and it's a seven-part documentary about six volunteers who take part in an experiment in which they're kept together in a small very confined building uh, apparently the size of a two-card garage uh, for a whole year together and the idea is basically to help nasa understand what it might be like on mars when humans are placed together in these confines i mean there's a point in this initial episode where they mention the fact that basically human beings are a technological component just like anything really and that <laughs> it's prone to the same fallibilities and it could fail and it needs to be tested and so this podcast follows this group of six people as they embark on this mission they are handed a audio recorder as they go in and then lynn passes questions through to them throughout the process and they do recordings and send them back 
Often they answer the questions. A lot of the time, I think they just use the recorder as a means to entertain themselves. I mean, they don't have loads <laughs> to do in this confined space. So a lot of the recordings are just idle living or basically the, the ticks of boredom taking place. And the podcast does largely focus on these behavioral elements of human beings. And so what happens when people start to argue, people form allegiances, um, people get incredibly bored uh, when they start to feel loneliness and, and isolation. And um, it's got a sort of big brother feel to it, although, you know, in a more cramped confines. But also as well, because it's designed to simulate Mars, everything is done as though they were on Mars. So the toilets aren't plumbed. They are like compost toilets, as they would be if they were on the red planet. They have to conserve water in the same manner. So, you know, water is recycled uh, from their showers to, like, mop the floor. And that's what I kind of like about this podcast, is it's part focused on this behavioural experiment, and then partly it shoots off into the stars and then tells you about how the experiment they're doing has this basis in what happens in space. So there's a great portion, a large portion of the second episode, where they largely talk about defecating in space and, uh, you know, the, the real awkward procedure of doing that and juxtapose it with what they're going through at the habitat. So I really like this podcast. I think it's got a nice arc to it. Uh, unsurprisingly, for people who are trapped in this small space, nothing much happens. But I think what does happen is very um, nicely handled and nicely produced. And I did start to feel an intimacy with the people who are in there over the course of the seven episodes. And then every episode also ends with this uh, cover of Space Oddity by a different musician, which all of them are really good, like quite left field electronic stuff. So I was very much into that. And the music's really good throughout, actually. So yeah, really enjoyed it. Freddie, what do you think? Yeah, I, I started listening to this, I think, when it, when it first kind of appeared online and I, I I was super excited by it and then for some reason I stopped and after about three episodes I think just because I ended up I had a bit of a, an episode party listening backlog to get through oh um, yeah yeah uh as 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 is the the occupational hazard um but <laughs> hey, yeah. I um I, I'm really glad you pointed it out again because I, I did really really enjoy it and it's now like firmly back in the queue ready to go again and live its life uh, in my ears and uh, yeah I I really really enjoyed the the first episode and, and the couple that I listened to afterwards before I kind of forgot that it existed and it just yeah it, it, it ticks a lot of boxes for me I don't know if either of you remember a series on Channel 4 called Space Cadets which was on yes. in like 2005 <laughs> and that's what it reminded me of of, except it's like not comedy it's actually ran by nasa rather was, than was that no we've had this discussion before yeah. it's not the documentary where they pretend they're going to send them into space that's exactly what it is yeah. And, yeah. and then they yeah, say yeah, that, that minsk was named after a little monkey yeah yeah, yeah that's the one gosh yeah how do you remember they that figured show? It, they figured it out within like a couple of weeks or something yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like oh <laughs> <laughs> this whole premise was very flawed it, yeah. that's what it reminded me of yeah 100% that's what it reminded me of but I was like oh okay Okay, actually, there's a bit more realism in here, and and then all I could think of was um, the, the Martian, the, the, yeah, yeah, which, yeah, which also like because I just thought of the, the Hab in the Martian, which is literally what the habitat is is based on, mm. um, and so uh, that got me really excited. So uh, automatically, I really really enjoyed it, and I think the first episode just is a is a really 
lovely introduction to uh to what what you're about to kind of uh listen to over the rest of the over the rest of the series and i think it's a nice a nice place to start in terms of uh working out who's who and kind of uh flagging up kind of potential tensions and and like how problematic uh something like this can be as well as like how (laughs) how insightful it can be at the same time like i I liked the fact that it, it wasn't it, it, you know this this first episode wasn't you know it wasn't just straightforward it wasn't just plain sailing everyone having a great time and that was it because mm. that's kind of how it starts and then you you, you start to kind of go oh, okay this isn't actually going to be this easy <laughs> yeah 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 um but i i really really enjoyed it and um i think yeah uh gimlet who who, who produced it um they're kind of on fire at the moment with these really really good shows um and i think there were a few that kind of led up to this one that kind of put them in a good position for it so they did an, uh, a series of startup or they were on a bus do you remember this jack my dad was raving about oh, it. oh yeah they went on it was it sounds like the worst thing in the world it's a, it was a bus journey across america <laughs> where like 20 people tried to form startups on the bus and then pitched when their bus oh, stopped God. and it just sounds like it they, they, it all just sounded horrendous but <laughs> sounds like a black mirror to yeah, be honest. It, but the reporting on it was really really good because obviously they were in this confined space and they had to get all these people to kind of speak freely on 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 audio and you know on microphones and um you know talk about their experiences and what was going on um so i think this kind of set them up really well for something like the habitat i mean chances are they were probably both recorded concurrently and i'm just making this up but it does sound like <laughs> uh they kind of knew what they were doing when they kind of stepped into this and i think they they got a really good result from mm. it which is awesome yeah totally um hannah what do you reckon yeah, I um, I, uh, I, I'm a bit of a space nerd, so you know, <laughs> I think it it was always going to be up my alley. Um, it's not a story I'd ever heard before. I think it's a fascinating. I'm amazed I'd never heard it because it's kind of fascinating that they just literally put these guys in a you know glorified tent in Hawaii and were like, there you go, that's it for the year. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is, you know, absolutely, absolutely bananas. And this is like, the first episode is such a kind of nice introduction. It's very, um, gives you a really good overview, as you, as we, as you said. My only issue with this, and it's, it's a very small um, issue, which is like absolutely nothing really, is why did they choose Space Oddity and not Life on Mars for the David Bowie song? Oh no, yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> That really troubled me. <laughs> oh no! I, I never you know, thought about that. <laughs> and now, now you're not going to be able to stop thinking about it. So, oh, damn it! I mean, if by any chance they're listening and could give me like clarity on that, I would love to have some <laughs> because, like, I, I I could lose sleep over that. But um, I think, it, yeah, it's a fascinating premise, and it's not too sort of technical either. Like, I yeah. am not a scientist and never will be, and this kind of <laughs> didn't, oh, you know, it didn't, it, it was not inaccessible for someone like me who is not au fait with all that sort of thing. Um, it wasn't too, you know, like watching. Uh, Brian Cox documentary and not understand anything he's saying. Mm. It was very much like we are trying to go. To, we, we as a people are trying to get to Mars. If we get, if we go to Mars, we'll have to work out how to live on Mars. So here is a way that we will try and find that out. And it's like problem solution, <laughs> and then go. It's you know, it, it's 
really investing in the interesting part of this, which is the people and how the people interact and how the people kind of dealt with this mm. like whack, this crazy situation. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the thing. It's very easy when, as soon as space gets mentioned for your head to immediately go into like hundreds of buttons, flashing lights, beep, boop, bloop, and like super complicated technology. And that's <laughs> definitely how I feel when I think about space. A lot of the words that I just use make me sound like a four-year-old child talking about space. But I think the great <laughs> thing about this is, yeah, it's very, very much at that uh, interface between the human being and the, and the new environment and in a way that actually is feels incredibly relatable i mean i feel like what gimlet are effectively doing here is being like forget all that stuff about them having to go through this gigantic training program and having a huge scientific background think of the fact that they're also <laughs> trying to do all the stuff that you do you know like cook a breakfast burrito and this is how they have to circumvent that problem. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought, yeah. you know, that aspect of it really appealed to me. Well, this has been great. I mean, the thing that has come up a few times is this should definitely be a film. And I <laughs> figure that uh, <laughs> there's a reason that that has been a particular analogy that uh, you've drawn is the fact that you do work for Little White Lies, <laughs> which is a, a magazine and a website that Freddie and I are, are both ginormous fans of and in fact have spoken about on a previous episode party in oh the, on the, which episode i'll have to go back and listen it was a film and tv special so we talked about truth and movies and ah. uh yeah 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 um, oh, oh i don't i will have to feed that back to the gang all right because we, we we get very distracted by the scoring system because i think we've both fallen over that quite a bit yeah we, we talked about the genius of the scoring system for a long time and also the podcast yes yeah there's a bit about the podcast too which we also love but um i mean one thing that i wanted to ask freddie is convinced that anytime that i ask questions of my guests that it's some kind of self-indulgent thing where i'm trying to further myself right but i'm very intrigued by the process of reviewing films which obviously you do so much of and i've reviewed live music shows i've reviewed albums and the great thing about reviewing something sonic is that you can always look down and jot in a notepad what you're thinking i'm so intrigued to know as a film critic how do you go about basically going from the moment of watching a film collating your thoughts and then getting them into some kind of situation where you can be like right i'm ready to write a review well, I'm a chronic note-taker in movies. Um, not everyone is. Uh, my colleagues, David and Adam, who are the editors of Little White Lies, I don't think I've ever seen them take notes in a screening. Wow. Um, but I will take... I have a notebook, and I will take my notebook, and I will make notes. The notes may not be legible. <laughs> if it's, you know, a film with a particularly dark colour scheme, there's a good chance I'm not going to see what I've written at the end of the film. <laughs> um, and sometimes I write notes over other notes, which is just... I went to see a film called Climax by Gaspar Noé, and all my notes I'd written on top of notes for another film. So I was like, I can't read any of this. This is, this is absolutely no use to me. Um, but I find that incredibly helpful. I am kind of lost when I can't take notes. Hmm. Because to me, when you're watching a film, you're kind of so overwhelmed by everything. You, especially when you're at a cinema, it's kind of different when you're at home watching it. But when you're in a cinema, it, it's dark. It's you know the, the the sounds going, the pictures going. You've got so many things to focus on. I just kind of need to do it like um, you know, bam, bam. I'm going to write things down as I think of them. And when you get out, you read your notes and you're like, God, what on earth was I thinking? I can't believe I wrote something so stupid. <laughs> but m- more often than not, it is helpful. And it's helpful to see what your kind of thought process was going in the movie to like 
you know, from the start of the movie to the end of the movie, how did you kind of respond to it in the moment, as well as how you're feeling, you know, a day later when you're writing the review, or even sometimes like two months later. Mm. So I think it's 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 not as kind of like glamorous as as it may appear to be. You know, I think some people think you kind of you, you watch the movie and then you go away and you're just able to like ping out you know a beautiful five hundred word draft about all your feelings about this movie. But most of the time, it's like, did that happen? Am I going to have to like call my friend who also saw the movie so I can check that I've just like invented a pot point? You know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess also as well, that must be essential to in order to actually slot in with the scoring system. If you don't have anything to go on from when you're actually experiencing the film, then I suppose you have to kind of fabricate that, right? This is what I think. I think for our scoring system as well, like it is very helpful for me to make notes because if I go into a film like thinking it's going to be really bad and then come out of it having quite enjoyed it it's good for me to be able to kind of mark where this transition happened <laughs> and same way if I think a film's going to be great and I come out I've not had a good time it's good for me to be able to look back and go okay well why didn't this work like what what about it was I not enjoying like what was there a line of dialogue that I've written down that I didn't like or was there a sort of a transition or something because for me like being in a cinema is such a kind of emotionally in, you, you're invested emotionally you know you've paid your 10 pounds you know you've you've sat down you've taken time out of the real world to go to the cinema and to mm. commit to a movie so you're always going to have that kind of emotional level with a review and if you're kind of able to marry that with the kind of concrete things you've written down then it's a lot easier than just trying to think on the spot like how do I feel about it now two months later yeah. as opposed to how I felt about it at the time when it was happening Mm, that's it. I definitely find that all the uh, strands of thought that I have slot into some kind of sense over time. And if I capture them at the point that I'm feeling them, you, I mean, I get some really wacky stuff, but it's great because <laughs> it's the point your brain's going, wait, what, what? And, and you know, frantically trying to draw these lines. Um, yeah, it's, it's like when you like, write an essay, you know, like, I I mean, I guilty as charged, I, when I was at university, would submit essays without having read the second draft, but you, <laughs> generally speaking, do not want to just go in with the first kind of thing that comes to the top of your head, so I mm. think it's helpful to kind of refine it as much as possible. Not all film critics feel that way, I know some people think that getting that kind of primal raw response to something is better but in a world of kind of hot takes and everyone just saying the first thing that comes to their head I think it is nice and part of the benefit of the white lies is that we do kind of try and be more discerning and thoughtful and think about how something will last and how something fits into the you know the greater world of film and the greater world itself Mm. than just going for that ephemeral you know how does it make me feel right now yeah absolutely well (laughs) I think I said to you over email I watched hereditary and read your review and i think because that distance from what i could what from, from what i could tell reading it it felt like that that distance had been applied and then some thoughts <laughs> drawn out of the the process of trying to pass everything which was a very useful yeah. guide for me out of that film <laughs> you know so yeah well i did also want to ask as well seeing as you're someone who watches so many films is there like is there a particular film and asking someone to you know extract one of these needles from the haystack i realize can be excruciating but a particular film where you're like 
not enough people have seen this. It's ridiculous that this film isn't oh. commended as much as it should be. Just a real, like, gem in the rough that you think should be put to the surface. I'm just twisting to look at my DVD shelf and see, like, what is uh, springing to mind. You know, I watched a film quite a while ago by David Lynch, which isn't one of his, like, big ones. It's, um... One he made, like, kind of before Mulholland Drive, before all that, and it's called um, Wild at Heart. And okay. it has um, Laura Dern and Nicolas Cage in it. And it's it's really, really good. If you're into kind of... If you're into David Lynch, you've probably already seen it, but if you're into kind of crazy Badlands, natural-born killer style, just, like, wacky, like, this couple are kind of fighting against all the odds, it's it's really great. Uh, Nick Cage sings some Elvis in it. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's just a real, like, a good old-fashioned good time. I don't think they kind of make them necessarily like that anymore. Uh, so, yeah, I would I would definitely recommend that to anyone who just wants to kind of, like get lost for a good two hours magic excellent well (laughs) thank you so much hannah for both podcast and film expertise it's been great (laughs) you're welcome thank you for having me on it's sometimes nice to talk about things that aren't films for me (laughs) so you know (laughs) well if you ever need a break we're always here we'll always have you back it's fine yeah I can talk about something that isn't this American life next time. I can, I can do, my, do, do my homework. Cool. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get you back on for, like, the Deep Cuts edition. That'll oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so if people want to check you out on uh, Lion Hannah and uh, keep up to date with you on social media or whatnot, where's the best place for them to go? You can find me tweeting. At, uh, my <laughs> handle is good job, Liz. Um, if you like pictures of Oscar Isaac and reviews of films starring Dwayne Johnson, then you will love my Twitter because it features both quite heavily. Uh, so yeah, come and tweet me about how much you hate or love American life. Amazing. <laughs> and Freddie, for social media with slightly less Dwayne Johnson, where can we be found? We should have more Dwayne Johnson. It's true, perhaps. we're working on it. Um, we are at episode underscore party. We are www.episode.party and we are hello at episode.party if you want to tell us about how much you love this American life. We don't want to hear if you hate this American life. We just want to know if you love it. That's that's all that matters to us right now. Yes, yes, please. Um, Great. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Uh, I've been Jack Tudor. I've been Freddie Harrison. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Bye. Hey everyone, Freddie here. If you're enjoying Episode Party, please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. It means a lot to us and it really helps us out. Thanks. Thanks.